Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us again this week. We are looking at week number 10. That means there are just a few more to go in this quarter's lesson as we take a look at that significant message or trio of messages, the three angels' messages in Revelation chapter 14. And in truth, it encompasses every aspect of our lives today. Our guest this week, as it has been for the last nine weeks, is Pastor Mark Finley. He's an international speaker, evangelist, and very well known to us here at It Is Written. He's going to share with us a little bit more about Satan's final deceptions. But before we dive into that, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you today for bringing us back together again and bringing us back to your word. As we look at messages for our time, messages for our day, messages for our lives, we ask that you will help us to understand them and apply them to our lives, uh, incorporate them into our lives so that we can receive the blessings that you desire us to have. We ask that you'll be with us as we look at today's lesson. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mark, welcome back once again. Thanks. I'm enjoying this, Eric. So this is an interesting subject, Satan's final deceptions. We've looked at kind of an overview of the book of Revelation. We've looked at judgment. We've looked at a variety of things as we've got to this point. We're now on lesson number 10, week number 10, and we're talking about Satan's final deceptions. Uh, Last week, we kind of looked at the systems, the two systems that we see in the book of Revelation. Give us a little recap on what we covered last week, because this is kind of part two of last week. It is. Last week, we looked at these two women in the book of Revelation. We introduced them. Satan's great deception is to pervert truth, to take truth and uh, change it. In Revelation chapter 12, we have the woman in white. She appears in heaven. A woman is a symbol throughout the Bible of the true church. It's a symbol of, a woman in white is a symbol of the true church, would be more accurate to say. Um, The bride of Christ, uh, one who's faithful to her true lover, Jesus. But you have another woman who is not faithful to Christ. We looked at that in Revelation chapter 17, and uh, Revelation 17 and verse 1 and 2. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Now, this is not the bride of Christ. This is one who has left her true lover, who sits on many waters. Waters, according to verse 15, are peoples. So here is a universal fallen religious system that dominates over many peoples with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Fornication is an illicit union. So here, rather than being unified to Christ, her true leader, this fallen church system unifies with the kings or the political powers of the earth to get their power. So the true church, God's people, depend on Jesus. They have Jesus as their head. They look to Jesus for direction, for guidance, for truth, for support, for strength. In the fallen church system, the harlot woman looks to the kings of the earth for power and strength. It says that the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Wine affects the forebrain. It affects conscience, reason, and judgment. 
wine in the Bible is a symbol of, often of the grace of God or doctrinal truth. And uh, here, the wine of her fornication has to do with false doctrines. Last week, we looked at two characteristics of this fallen woman. Incidentally, on her forehead, in verse 5, it says, on her forehead is mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So she is the mother of harlots. So there's the great uh, church system, the fallen church system that's called Babylon, who is passing around the wine cup of her false doctrine, united with the kings of the earth or the political powers. She is called Babylon, Mystery Babylon the Great. So if you can solve the mystery of Babylon, you can know the identity of this woman. What was Old Testament Babylon like? First, it was based on the system, the traditions of men, not God. It was based on human philosophy, human ideas. It also was a system that had idol, idols or idolatry as its center. And um, so it's a man-made human religious system that unites church and state that compels at times worship as ancient Babylon did in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. But um, it has some other characteristics we're going to study today. So that kind of brings us up to to where we were last week. Mm -hmm. When we get to Revelation chapter 12, there's an interesting passage here since we're talking about Satan's final deceptions and and weaving Babylon into this and, and understanding her more clearly. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So Lucifer was pretty effective at deceiving the beings of heaven, the angels of heaven. You know, a third of them left with him. I say left. It wasn't necessarily voluntary. (laughs) Uh, They were evicted. We'll put it that way. But it says here he's deceiving the whole world, was cast to the earth. So we're dealing with him and his deceptions now in a very real way. We really are. You know, it says it uses two uh, symbols of Satan, the dragon and the serpent. He's the serpent because he deceives. He deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. Deception, distortion of truth has been his modus operandi down through the centuries. He's the serpent because he deceives. He's the dragon because he destroys. He deceives those whom he's going to destroy, and he destroys those whom he has deceived. Uh, The devil, down through the ages, has hated Christ, and he's attempted to shift the obedience and allegiance to Christ for men and women to look at human forms of philosophy and human forms of salvation. So in ancient Babylon, he shifted from a direct relationship to worship God to rather the worship of idols. Also, uh, rather than the truth about death, that uh, when a person dies, they rest until the resurrection, The devil hates the truth of the second coming of Christ and the resurrection, so he developed the immortality of the soul. We can talk a little bit more about that. And also, in ancient times, uh, the sun became quite a prominent feature of worship, so the devil uh, instituted sun worship rather than worshiping the Creator on the Sabbath. So we see these deceptive powers of Satan that are interwoven into Babylonian philosophy, and some, unfortunately, have come into the Christian church. 
So we'll unpack those two in, in just a, a moment. I want to dwell for just a moment on, on the title of Sunday's lesson. It says, The Way That Seems Right in a Man's Eyes. We sometimes tend to think more of ourselves than perhaps we ought. Our, our intellectual abilities, our, our abilities to discern right from wrong, truth from error, left from right. And, and, and we consider ourselves generally speaking pretty good at that. But uh, the Bible indicates perhaps we're not so good at doing that on our own. You know, Proverbs 14, there are two passages that almost say the same thing in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, verse 12, and Proverbs 16, verse 25. Let's go to Proverbs 14, 12. And um, here in Proverbs 14, 12, the Bible does outline exactly what you've said. It says it also in Proverbs 16, 25. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What is the way that seems right to a man, but the end is death? You know, Isaiah says they turned everyone to their own way. The Bible gives to us a revelation of divine truth. Uh, John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. John eight thirty two says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you John 7, verse 17 says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. So the truth of God's word is not subject to human whims, human um, ideas. The truth of God's word provides a foundation for faith. What would we know about Jesus if we didn't have the word of God? I mean, what would we know about his life, his miracles, his parables, his teachings. Um, What if you didn't have the Word of God? What would you know about Jesus' death for you? What would you know about his priestly ministry in the sanctuary? What would you know about the second coming of Christ? If you didn't have the Word of God, these things would be unknown. So the Word of God provides for us a foundation. Oral tradition, simply passed down by word of mouth, can change from century to century. It can get very distorted. But we have the objective Word of God written down to us in 66 different books of the Bible, written over a 2,500-year period of time. It's just absolutely incredible to know that you and I can take the Bible in our hands and it's the Word of God. That's where Babylon makes its biggest mistake. It substitutes. The devil has done a number. The, The wine of Babylon, the drunkenness of this world over false doctrine as the devil has tried to shape philosophy, human ideas, culture, and shaped all of that into a religious system called Babylon, where church, state, and eventually economic financial leaders unite in the triumphant of error between the religious leaders, the political leaders, and the economic leaders. I run into a number of people today who seem to be in love with Jesus. We love Jesus, but we're not real excited about doctrine. You know, where is, another word for doctrine might be teachings. Where is Jesus without his teachings? Who yeah. is he? We, a lot of people have fallen in love with the idea of who he is, that they fit into their own box. You know, Paul talks about heaping to yourselves teachers, having itching ears, and turning away your ear from the truth and unfortunately turning to fables. And unfortunately, a lot of people have done that today, the mixture of truth and error together, those fables. So we're looking at the, these characteristics of Babylon. We're going to take a short break in a moment, but 
give us a, a taste of what we're going to look at with these characteristics of Babylon and how they have led people astray. We are going to look at two of Satan's most subtle deceptions. When a person dies and that person has been close to you and they're no more with you, what do you long for? You long to see them again. Satan uses the idea of the immortality of the soul, that the soul can live on outside of the body, to deceive us by trying to help us to sense, well, maybe you can come in contact with that living, that loved one again through apparitions, etc. Also, he substituted sun worship in what is called in honor of the resurrection. So the devil is very subtle, very deceptive, but the Word of God is our guide. And we're going to be sticking to that, you can be certain. But before we take a break, I want to remind you, if you haven't done it yet, it's not too late. I know that this is week number 10, this is lesson number 10, so you've still got a short window of opportunity to pick up the companion book to this quarter's Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide, and that is a book called Three Cosmic Messages by our guest today. And each week this quarter, Pastor Mark Finley, you will gain so much more insight and depth of understanding into this subject if you pick this up. Where can you pick it up? Real easy to do. Go to itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop, and you are looking for three cosmic messages by Pastor Mark Finley. And in just a moment when we return, we are going to look at those two great errors being taught in much of the world and even in much of Christianity. We'll be right back. Crystals, yoga, Ouija boards, witchcraft are back in vogue. What the Foxist has popularized is now part of pop culture. Books and movies about witchcraft, wizardry, and magic are everywhere. What's often said to be just entertainment is part of something much larger and darker. Don't miss Dancing with the Devil, where we'll explore the rise of the occult, and you'll meet a young woman who overcame her involvement with the occult through the power of God. In a world where the media is saturated with occult imagery, in a society where ghosts and demons are treated as trivial and fun, it's never been more important to discern between the sacred and the profane. In Dancing with the Devil, you'll learn there's nothing new under the sun, and that the roots of what we see today go all the way back to the origin of sin. Dancing with the Devil, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're here again with Pastor Mark Finley, looking at some of the deceptions of Babylon at the end of time. And Pastor Mark, I want to go to Revelation 18 right now and take a look at verses 2 and 3 because I think these are going to help us uh, get an, an understanding of one of these great two great deceptions that, uh, that the devil's attempting to foist on humanity at end time. They really do, uh, Eric. And if you look at Revelation 18, let me just read verse 1 and 2, and then I want to go down and pick up as well verse 23. It says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. So he and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So in the last days, there will be a mighty move of the Spirit. In the last days, God is going to move powerfully with the outpouring of his Spirit, and uh, the world will be illuminated with the glory of God. It says the earth is 
illuminate with God's glory. In fact, in Habakkuk 2, about verse 14, it says that the knowledge of God will cover the earth, revealing his glory as waters cover the sea. Then it says, he cries mightily with a loud voice. We remember in the three angels, they had a loud voice. But this is a fourth angel joining those three. And it says, he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. So here, this great religious conglomerate, this union of political, religious, and economic powers is fallen. Now, but notice this. It's become the dwelling place of demons, a spirit of every foul spirit, a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So what's that talking about? It's talking about rank spiritualism, demonic forces operating in, through a religious veneer to deceive the world. This is real serious stuff. Mm. And if you look at verse 23, how does Satan deceive many? The light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. Well, you know, from Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The light of the lamp, well, that's the word of God, doesn't shine in Babylon. Why not? Because she rejected it and therefore went to her own errors and apostasy and doctrinal untruths. The light of the lamp shall not shine in her anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride, so who's the bridegroom? That's Jesus. The bride is his church, shall not be heard in her anymore. For your merchants were great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all nations were deceived. So the devil deceives people through spiritualism. Unless you understand death and the fact that when a person dies, they rest in the earth until the resurrection, the devil can, and I believe, based on scripture, that in the last days there will be apparitions, dead loved ones are going to, not they're not the dead loved ones, but they are the demonic spirits pretending to be dead loved ones, impersonating as dead loved ones, are going to appear. Because the dead cannot appear. They, they rest until the resurrection. Job says if a man die, he, he can't come back to his house again. So we find this is one of the devil's greatest deceptions at the end time. And it shouldn't surprise us that it would be one of the biggest deceptions at end time because it was his first big deception. And he managed to deceive, he's managed to deceive people for thousands of years on this. Uh, and was, Revelation talks about the spirits of devils working miracles. So to, to see a supposed lost loved one, um, it's a genuine miracle that we're seeing them. It's not a miracle from God. Right. Of course, it's the devil working miracles and wanting us to believe that they are, are our lost loved ones. I want to go back to the lesson here for just a moment, Pastor Mark, on, on Monday's lesson. It says, such expressions as the dwelling place of demons or the spirits of demons and sorcery all indicate demonic activity. No wonder we have been warned that of the two great deceptions in the last days, one will be the immortality of the soul. That's from the book, The Great Controversy, page 588. And so powerful evidence, clear evidence that that's one of the big ones that people are going to be uh, deceived on. And it's interesting, when I share in Bible prophecy seminars and so forth, the different subjects of the Bible, one of them that's a big divider is the state of the dead, the immortality of the soul. I find some people who embrace it with gladness of heart because in, in many cases it gets rid of preconceived ideas that they may have had like purgatory and so forth. But it can be very emotional for some people because in their minds, 
we just pulled grandma out of heaven. And, and that can, at least on the surface, that sounds like a bad thing. But if you stop and think about it, <laughs> wow, how, how disturbing would it be to think that there are people up in heaven looking down on us and seeing the mess that our lives are and the, the difficulties and the challenges we're going through? Oh, yeah. I mean, just think um, of what just happened in, in Turkey, for example, a number of uh, months ago. Just think about it. What if you were grandma in heaven you saw a loved one buried under the rubble of an earthquake, uh, struggling for survival and dying? What if you saw a son in, in a car accident going through the windshield? What if you saw somebody in war or a woman who's divorced and her husband is drunk and he bites down, knocks down the door and hits her in the face and breaks her nose? And I mean, it's so many. God's way is so much better. You know, the Bible is clear on this. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 says, The living know that they shall die, but the dead know absolutely nothing. It says in Job 19, Job says, Though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I'll see God. I know that my Redeemer lives. Um, if you look, for example, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, you know, that's such an encouraging passage. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive will remain, will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. So death, 53 times in the Bible, death is mentioned as asleep. 53 times. Jesus said, our friend Lazarus, sleepeth. The disciples don't understand, and Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. 1,600 times in the King James Version of the Bible, it uses the equivalent of the word soul, never once immortal soul. You mentioned Paul writing in, in Thessalonians about what happens when a person dies, and then he, he gives that, that little little pop at the end. He says, wherefore comfort one yes. another with these words. So it's, it's meant to be, it's designed to be a message of comfort. So the Bible teaches a lot about death, uh, and it gives us great hope in that as well. But there's another subject that you, you mentioned in this week's lesson, and that is that of sun worship. Now, back in ancient Babylon, there was no question that sun worship took place. But unpack it a little bit. Share with us some of the elements of sun worship. What did it look like back in those days? And do we see any evidence of that today? Sure. In ancient Babylon, sun worship was quite common. For example, if we take our Bibles and go back to 2 Kings chapter 23... 2 Kings chapter 23. And here you have a good example of sun worship in the ancient world and um, how sun worship impacted the ancient world. We're going to look at two verses, verse 5 and verse 11. 2 Kings chapter 23. We'll pick up there with verse 5 to begin. And um, it says, Then he removed the idolatrous priests from the kings of Judah, who had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. They were worshiping idols, obviously. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and to the constellations. Why do they burn incense to Baal? Because Baal is a god. Why do they burn incense to the sun? Because the sun and these constellations are objects of worship. If you let your eyes drop down further, it talks about... Verse 11, then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. So they dedicated horses back there to the sun god. It goes on further. It points out later on in the verse that uh, also they burned the chariots of the sun, the last part of verse 11. 
So here you have burning incense to the sun, horses dedicated to the sun, chariots dedicated to the sun. So they saw the sun as a major force in the ancient world and a major object of worship. When Israel apostatized from God on one occasion, you look at Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 16, you find some Israelites turning their backs on the sacredness of the temple where the Shekinah glory of God was manifest and also the law of God, Ezekiel 8, verse 16. And if you'll read that, to Pastor Eric. It says, so he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. So they worshiped the rising sun in the east, but they turned their back to the temple of God. And what was in the most holy place of the temple? The law of God. So here is an example of apostasy in ancient Israel, the people of God, where they have these Babylonian influences from sun worship that come in. James Frazier, in his book um, on sun worship, and we quote that on Tuesday's lesson, page 83. It says here on page 83, top of the page, sun worship was prominent in Egypt, Assyria, Persia, and certainly Babylon. In his book, The Worship of Nature, James G. Frazier makes this observation. In ancient Babylonia, the sun was worshipped from immemorial antiquity. So, sun worship comes through these ancient pagan sources through Babylon. If these things are true, and they are, if one of Satan's early lies was the immortality of the soul, if Satan, one of Satan's early lies was sun worship, if he, why is Satan wanting to shift from Sabbath worship to sun worship? Because if you worship on Sabbath, you acknowledge God as creator. He is your Lord. He made you. We didn't simply come into existence by happenstance. So Satan's final deceptions will be to establish a man-made religion that focuses on the immortality of the soul so that he can impersonate dead loved ones through evil angels and sun worship so he can undermine the concept of creation. And if we follow the Bible and take it as our guide to life, we can trust that he's going to lead us in the right direction. God's going to lead us in the right direction and away from the deceptions that abound today. And if you look, again, even at much of Christianity today, uh, you see some confusion on what happens when a person dies. You see some confusion on what day is God's holy day uh, and confusion on a bunch of other things as well. But these two are, are very, very significant. So what encouragement would you give someone who is trying to decide whether it's really all that important about what they believe or, or what they do when it comes to especially these two things that we've looked at here? In the book of Revelation, it says, Here are they that keep the commandments of God and of the faith of Jesus. Place your faith not in the teachings of men, but in the word of God. Give your life to Jesus and decide to obey him. Thank you, Pastor Mark. We look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue our study of the three angels' messages. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.